You might remember, church family, that before our two guest preachers were with us the last two weeks, that we were in a sermon series on identity in Christ. I think we had maybe six, seven, eight sermons on what does it mean when I come to faith in Jesus Christ, my life belongs to him and he gives himself to me. What, what does it mean? What does God say about the new identity that I have in him? He replaces our old identity that's defined by sin, by shame, by wounds. And he gives us these new names, new identity. And we, we, were, we said that that list of names or identities is almost endless. The Bible is just filled with so many promises of what God says to us and says about us. But we chose seven or eight so that we could get grounded in Christ and in the love of Christ. So we're going to turn a little corner now from identity to maturity. Identity has to do with change or transfer from one kingdom to another. I used to be in darkness. I was a rebel. Now I've yielded my life to God. I've come into the light, as the Bible says. I belong to Him. But that doesn't mean I'm mature. I've got to grow up. So we're going to talk about maturity in Christ over the next six or seven weeks. And I want to start this morning, I'm going to preach an introductory sermon on Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. So you can turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 18.18, says Vic, page 18.18 in the blue Bibles. This is Paul writing a letter to the church in Ephesus, which was um, home of one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. So it was a home of um, great, great pagan worship of the of the goddess Diana, who um, you might remember from Acts. Paul got in a lot of trouble for um, proclaiming Jesus because the people who were making idols were starting to lose business. That's Ephesus is one of those places. So here's, he's writing a letter to a group of, of Christians in Ephesus, and we're in the middle of the letter, picking up at chapter 4, where Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, in, in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. It's a quote from the Psalms. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? 
He who descended, it's speaking of Christ now, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. God's word. So you can hear Paul talking about maturity in that passage, and you can hear him using the word infancy or infants. And uh, it's no surprise to many of you that I love babies, I love infants. So I've been, I've been delighting in this imagery and thinking about babies and infants and growing to maturity this week. And I just had a few laughs that I want to share with you as I thought about that journey from infancy to maturity. I was thinking about how, and actually Ann and I were, were joking on a walk yesterday about how in our nursery here, if things start to smell a little bit, like if somebody maybe deposited something in their diaper, you know, one of the nursery workers might be like, hey, who, 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 who laid out that nice little surprise for us? Was that you? Did you do, did you go poopy? <laughs> did you, did you, oh, you didn't. You know, they look in the diaper, it wasn't, there's no, oh, you must have tooted, you know. So, we talk to infants like we kind of expect them to do this, and it's normal. But we don't talk to our, our 10 and our 12-year-olds this way. Actually, it would be really abnormal if we walked up to a 12-year-old. You know, we don't praise, we praise infants for pooping. Do you ever notice that? Good job! But we would not walk up to a 12-year-old and go, Oh, you pooped! Good for you! Or, or if anybody, you know, if you're in a group situation and somebody decides to relieve themselves of some gas... You don't say, now, who's the, who's the one who did that? You know, in a nursery, you do that. But in an adult situation, you don't do that. Because you expect, you expect different, you expect better, you expect adults wouldn't do that. Well, I think about how um, toddlers, when they're like two years old, if they don't get their way, what do they do at their worst? They throw themselves to the ground and they flop around and all of their limbs are flying around and they're screaming out their protests. And actually, we think it's kind of normal. They're just kind of testing the limits, expressing themselves. But if a 12-year-old would do what a 2-year-old would do, we would be really concerned. If the 12-year-old threw themselves on the ground and started flopping around and screaming... We would think something's gone wrong. And if the 22-year-old would do that, we're talking about locking them up. Like, this is really serious. This is really bad that you're doing what the 2-year-old would do. I think about how babies 
um, they don't feed themselves. They, they don't even think about feeding themselves. They just automatically get fed. And as they grow into toddlerhood and in childhood, they start to expect to be fed. It's normal to be fed. And it's normal when teens and young adults start learning to make food for themselves and cook for themselves. But if 26 or 28 or 30 year old would show up at their parents' house regularly expecting to be fed, we would say there's something wrong. You haven't grown to maturity. So I could go on and on sharing examples like this, but the point of it is that in, in the natural, there's this progression from dependence and inability and mess-making to maturity and ability to care for oneself and acting and speaking in certain ways. And at each point in that progression, there are things that are natural for each stage, but if they aren't grown out of, are actually considered unnatural for the next stage. There's a progression from infancy to maturity. And Paul, as he writes this text to the Ephesians, he's talking about this, this um, progression, and he's in, a, he's in effect saying, you know, so it is for all of us who come to Christ. We're born into the kingdom of God as infants. And he, he's not making any condemning statement about being an infant. He's not saying it's bad to be dependent. He's not saying it's bad to make messes. He's just saying, we're not intended to stay there. Actually, when you're an infant, he uses the image of waves, you get tossed here and there, he says, by every wind of teaching. It's like your life is just blown this way, and then your life is blown that way, and your life's blown this way. You've got no rootedness. As an infant, you're completely dependent and you're moved by others. And Paul's saying, you don't want to stay there. We don't want you to stay there. The Lord doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to grow up to maturity. So he says, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth. And then in verse 13, when he talks, he's talking about the maturity, he says, until we all attain So this is what we're all aiming for, all called to, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature personhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, that could sound like um, just a lot of words. What Paul's actually doing is he's stacking words on top of each other very intentionally to say, The the goal of maturity is to come to a place where you're you're, um, not only not an infant, but you have grown up into a fullness that God has for each person he creates. Each of those words, I don't know if you noticed it, but measure, stature, fullness... They all have to do with, there's this place of, of this, how do we say this? Think about measure, like you measure a 
child as they grow up on the wall, and they're growing up to full height. We all have a full height that we reach. You think about stature, and you think about attaining to a certain, again, size or stature or height. You think about fullness, you think about a cup, and it's, again, a measurement. It's not full, it's half full, it's three quarters full, it's full and flowing over. So all of these are kind of measurement terms. Why would Paul use three terms? He's stacking these measurement turns on top of each other to say, look, there's a measure that we're all supposed to grow up to. We're not supposed to be le- like like babies that aren't full. We're supposed to get be filled up. And then he ends it with the fullness of Christ. Christ is the measure. So he's saying all of these point to Christ and that maturity that fullness is in him, that it's from him, that it's through him, and it's about growing up. He's, the Christian life is about growing up into Christ. In other words, Christian maturity looks like Jesus in all things. So when you begin to say to yourself, well, where am I? on this trajectory from infancy through toddlerhood, through childhood, through young adulthood, through adulthood to maturity or fullness in Christ. How would you answer that question? But by holding up your heart in your life, your speech, your actions, your faith to Christ's. He's saying, Christ is the measure. Christ is what we're all growing up into in all things. And so he starts talking about this at the beginning of that chapter where he says, be completely humble. Now, we often think about humbleness as like a a meekness, but humbleness is not meekness. You can be very bold, very courageous, and humble. Humility is agreeing with God in everything. That's humility. Paul's saying be completely humble. Agree with God in everything. And so if you wanted to say, well, where am I from infancy to maturity in humility, you would ask yourself, how much is what the Word of God says shaping the entirety of my life? How much is of what the Word of God says shaping my speech, shaping my attitudes, shaping my relationships, shaping the way I spend my time, shaping humility is agreeing with God in everything, letting Him shape and form who I am. Now, it's going to look different for me than it's going to look for Lynette, than it's going to look for Vic, because God's given us each unique personalities, unique gifts and abilities. We image God uniquely, but we're all called to agree with God completely. What does God say about how my time is used, about entertainment, about generosity? My agreeing with him in everything. Be completely humble. So in that song that we were singing this morning, we were yielding ourselves to the Lord. We're asking him to shape and form us. And then the question we might even ask is, does that attitude of my heart in worship 
get reflected from Monday through Saturday? Do I live in a posture of worship, of longing for Jesus to be reflected through me? Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. This one's a humbling one for me. On the gentleness spectrum, where do I fall? I'm called to grow up into the gentleness of Christ. You think about, here's where meekness comes into play. You think about the power that he has. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane, where they're coming to arrest him. And they ask him, are you the Messiah? And he says, I am. And everybody falls flat on their face. All power belongs to him. And yet, all he does is say, I am. That's me. There's a, there's a power in Jesus that doesn't, comes out, doesn't come out in strength or in controlling others or in anger or in criticism. He's got a gentleness in his personality. So when I think about growing up to maturity, I think about growing to control in a positive sense the strength that God's given me. Meekness, gentleness. Paul says, bear with one another in love. It's kind of a patience and love combination. You know, um, you know, how patient you are by looking at how what comes out of you when you're with the people that you're the closest to and that you are the most comfortable with and you spend the most time with. Because that's where you're the bluntest. And so where you're the bluntest, how often do you express frustration and annoyance with so-and-so or such-and-such? Or God is long suffering and patient. He's kind. He bore with this world for thousands of years before he gave Jesus. I have trouble bearing with people for thousands of seconds. Right? So, it can be the case that in some of these, there's a developed maturity in us, but in others, there's an underdeveloped infancy in us. Okay? Growing up into Christ in all things, letting him shape and yield every aspect of our being. And those are just the ones that Paul named in the text, but there's more. Christ is the wisdom of God. In him is all wisdom. I'm invited to grow up into his wisdom as a wise one, as one who doesn't speak without considering how my words will shape others, as one who weighs the value of what's being said or not said. Wisdom of God. I think about the joy of God. There's, there's no person in the world that's filled with more joy than Jesus Christ. Right? The Hebrew says, you are anointed with the oil of joy. 
Think about this. He is the image of God. Hebrew says he's the exact radiance of God. God is joy. God is the giver of joy. Jesus is joy incarnate. So growing in maturity in Christ is growing up in joy. It's growing up in, I am able to be joyful in all circumstances because I'm united to Jesus. Peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I don't give as the world gives. My peace I give to you. Growing up into Christ and his character is and includes the ability to not panic, not be swayed into anxiety, not be pushed down into the depths of darkness, but to have a steadiness of peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, He will keep in perfect peace him or her whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. So, trust leads to peace. And I can have the peace of Christ developed to such a fullness in me that nothing can rock me off of it. How's that come? By faith. So, the faith of Jesus. I think about, I think about the faith that it takes for him to... You know, we often attribute much of his ministry or his miracles to his divinity, but actually Jesus laid aside his divinity and he ministered under the anointing or the power of the Holy Spirit as a human being. And so have you considered, have we considered how much faith it takes for him to lay his hands on people and trust that they're going to be healed, to stand in front of a grave and say, Lazarus, come out. But that faith is something that I can grow up into. I think it was Andrew Murray that once said, um, everything that Christ is, he is for us or to us. Everything that he is, he is for us or to us, makes available to us. Think about Jesus' selfless service. I think about Jesus washing the disciples' feet in John 13. And here's the creator of all the earth on his knees with his hands in dirty water, washing dirty feet with a towel. And so maturity in Christ looks like growing to the place where I and you serve others around us. Infancy looks like take, take, take. Maturity looks like hands and knees, and I'm not asking you to notice me. I'm not asking you to give to me. I'm not asking you to tell me how special I am. I want to give. Out of the overflow of what I've received, I want to give. Where are we on the scale of infancy to maturity in selfless giving? I could go on and on. Every attribute of Christ, everything about him, is something that you and I are called, not invited, not offered as a possibility, called and told, grow up into Christ. 
grow to maturity into Christ. And so in every way, Christ is the measure of not just Christian, but human maturity. He's God. And we're being renewed in the image of God. And so as we each grow to maturity, what I, what I, I want us to notice this morning is something that I found amazing as I reflected on this text. Paul actually says God's doing something amazing through us. Did you notice what he wrote in um, chapter 4, verse 10b? I'm going to read verse 7 to 10 and land on 10b again because it all ties together. He says, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When Jesus ascended on high, he led captives in his train. He brought people with him and then he gave gifts to men or to mankind, men and women. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended came to earth, lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended. So Christ ascended higher than all the heavens. And then this is it. In order to fill the whole universe. Well, what does that mean? Did you ever think about that? That Christ's plan, part of God's plan, is for Christ to fill the whole universe. Christ, again, the exact radiance of God, everything that's in God, all of the goodness of God, all of the love of God, all of the joy of God, the peace of God, it's in Him. And so, filling the whole universe with Jesus Christ is filling the whole universe with God, with all of the goodness of God. So here we live in a world that's fractured and it's divided and it's wounded and it's hurting and it's full of evil and it's full of rebellion and it's full of pain and turmoil. And God's saying, I want to fill the universe, not with that stuff, but with me. I want to fill the universe with Jesus Christ. This is my plan. And so the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to defeat evil at the cross. I'm going to redeem a group of people. I'm going to fill them with the Spirit of Jesus. And then I'm going to fill the universe with Jesus as those people grow to maturity in Him. In other words, the life of God gets expressed in the universe. The plans of God get accomplished as the people of God grow up in Jesus. It's as the church grows to maturity that the world gets filled with Jesus. You might think, oh, you're making a little too much out of one little line here. Like, are you sure about this? Yes. Flip back with me to chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, where Paul says, actually, I'll start a little earlier. He's talking again about the ascension. He says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed Jesus to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
And that's amazing. That God's plan to fill the universe with himself involves filling the church with himself and growing the church up to maturity. That he's going to somehow manifest his glory. What does the Bible tell us? Someday the world or the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. Is it now? No. That somehow through the church growing up in Christ, God's glory will fill the earth. That's a huge privilege and it's also a huge responsibility. And I think... That could feel like a lot of pressure if we didn't start with grace. If we didn't start with the message that Pastor Trevor brought us two weeks ago when he spoke on John 17, particularly verse 22, where Jesus says, I've given them the glory that you gave me. I've given my followers, I've given the church the glory that you gave me. And we said, what was that glory? What's the glory that the Father gave Jesus that he gives to us? Sonship. That he looks at you and he says, daughter. And he looks at us and he says, son. Almighty God says, son, you are mine. Daughter, you are mine. I've given them the glory that you gave me. That glory is a gift to be unpacked. It's a gift to grow up into. And so I want to end by just asking briefly, how does this maturing happen? Because it doesn't happen by Pastor Dave talking about the ways in which we need to grow or mature or laying out questions and then all of a sudden we've all matured. It's not through the preaching of one sermon. So how does this maturing happen? Well, as we listen to Paul's language, we can see that there are three people that are responsible for us growing to maturity in Christ. The first is God. If you listen to Paul's language, he says, God calls. God gives the Spirit. God apportions grace. That's really comforting to know that God leads the process of each of us growing up into Christ. I'm not leading. I'm following. I'm not initiating. I'm responding. I'm not responsible for bringing this to completion. I'm a child like we were reminded earlier. God leads. It also means that at all times and in all places and in every part of my life, God has purpose. That he's always working, right? So Romans tells us he's at work always for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. It means there's no situation in my life that can happen where God isn't at work for my growth. doesn't mean he instigated everything. But it means he bends everything toward me becoming like Jesus. 
So God is the first person who's at work and by far the most important. But Paul says there's a second one, and that's leaders. He says the job of leaders is to equip believers for works of service, to speak the truth in love, which means, like Paul preached to us last last week, he said, obey your leaders, honor them, make their work a joy to the Lord. Because it's our work as serving to do to do this work of nurturing up in Christ. And we'll talk more about that uh, in weeks to come. I get to preach a sermon on humility and submission, and I'm going to look at the example of Jesus, and I'm going to talk to us about how difficult this is and how much I experience this difficulty in my pastoral work. Because all of our natures in their flesh work against this. We don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to be told how to grow. We don't want to be told how to change. And all of that flows out of not being rooted in the love of God. Okay? So, Paul says, God initiates, but leaders facilitate. Leaders create a context. Leaders nurture. Leaders approach. Leaders guide. Leaders speak the words of God. That's helpful to know because then we know when a leader approaches us in the church and says, I want to talk to you about something, we can actually say to ourselves, God's at work right here. God's at work. God wants to speak to me through so-and-so. It's God who's at work, not just a leader. God initiates, leaders facilitate. Who's the third person? Us. Paul says in this passage, Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That make every effort could be applied to everything that he's telling us. Work hard. Work hard not to earn something, but work hard to respond to the grace and the love of God. Make every effort. He's saying, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. When God calls you son, when God calls you daughter, you respond to that. We respond to that by saying, wow, yes, Father. Thank you, Father. I love you, Father. Shape me, Father. Make me to be more like Jesus' Father. God initiates, leaders facilitate, we participate. We participate with what God's doing. And we do that with intentionality. So nobody woke up this morning and said to themselves, you know what, today feels like a nice day to run a marathon. I think I'm going to go run a marathon. Nobody ever does that. You might run a hundred yard dash, you might run a mile. You might wake up and decide, I'm going to go run a mile. But you don't ever wake up and go, I'm going to run a marathon. You don't wake up and go, I'm going to become like the Son of God without intentionality. There's a lifelong journey to maturity or fullness, but it requires intentionality. Just like marathon requires saying, I'm going to stop the Doritos and the ice cream and the Coke, and I'm going to get on some vegetables and some other things that are healthy, and I'm going to train, and I'm going to wake up early, and I'm going to spend dedicated time doing such and stuff, you position yourself to grow physically and get healthy, so also we position ourselves to grow in Christ. It doesn't happen haphazardly. It doesn't happen on Sunday morning alone. 
This is a very, very small part of it. It happens with great intentionality. And so how does that happen? The church has long talked about things that they call spiritual disciplines that position us to grow in Christ. Somebody said recently, spiritual disciplines position us to receive by grace what we can't attain by self-effort. I can't make myself like Jesus. I cannot make myself more patient. I cannot make myself more loving. I cannot make myself more wise. I cannot make myself more uh, persevering. I cannot make myself have more faith. I cannot make myself anything. I can want those things all I want, but I cannot tell myself, do this more, try harder, and have that work. That's anti-gospel. The gospel says I can receive these things in Christ and so I have to position myself, myself to keep receiving them by faith. And so spiritual disciplines are these practices that the church has developed over the last 2,000 years that say, these are means of grace. These are ways that I can position myself to abide in Jesus Christ, to grow in Jesus Christ, to grow in the love of Christ, to continue receiving his love, to l- receive his nature and live it out. So that's why Stephanie has put to it together for us an amazing little introduction to spiritual disciplines, which I think Sarah handed to you on the way in. That is, if you haven't been introduced to them before, just a little, this is what they are and how these can be a tool for us to grow in Christ. I want to end here by just saying, imagine, imagine how beautiful it is and how beautiful it will be as each of us continue to position ourselves with hunger and with humility before the Lord, day after day, week after week, what will God do through your life? What will God do through our shared life together? As we together grow up into the fullness of, That's in Jesus. How beautiful, how beautiful might be the end result of that. If each one of us didn't stop at a quarter, didn't get stalled out at a two-thirds or at a half, but grew to the fullness of all that God has for us in Jesus. Jesus tells us in the end of that verse in John 17 that Trevor preached on where he said, the glory that I have, I've given to them. And he ends it by saying that they may be one as we are one. That the world may know, the world may know that you sent me. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that you not only gift us with new life in you, but that you gift us with your spirit and with all that we need to grow up into the fullness of your life, Jesus. We thank you that you don't leave us where we are, but that you're always working to grow us in more love, more joy, more peace, more faith, more wisdom, more reflecting you. And Lord, if we're honest, we just need to acknowledge before you that we've not pursued you as much as you've pursued us. That we haven't hungered and thirsted for righteousness. That we haven't, in many ways, haven't been intentional about our growth in you. That there are places in our lives where we've settled There are parts of our hearts and our lives that we've just ignored. And that right now we want to say to you, we hear you. We hear you saying without any condemnation, but with great love and purpose, grow up, grow up. Grow up in me. Let me fill you. And so, Lord, we long. We long even to long that you would fill us. And we do yield our hearts and our lives afresh to you. And we pray, not only forgive us for where we have not hungered, for maturity and growth in you. But now, give a fresh wave, a fresh filling of hunger that's responding to your grace. And Lord, do a work in us, individually and a work in us as a church, so that the West Side would know and believe in you and that the world would know and believe. Glorify yourself in and through your church, Jesus. And we do pray, fill the universe with the glory and the goodness of God. Amen.